Kelly just preached. She said, and God said, and life change happens. I'm not supposed to preach quite yet. I'm going to say a couple other things first, but she led us that direction. So this whole series that we're launching today, Read the Book, every week we're going to lead into the message with a story of life change from someone in our church through the power of God's words. You're going to be seeing more of these, more of the Bible said, this happened in my life. And it's going to be awesome. Also, during this uh, series, I just want you to know what's going on with Read the Book. Every week, I think it's pretty cool. Every week, we're going to get together and we're going to study one of the passages that we read that week in the Read the Book plan. So this past Friday, we all, if you're doing the plan, we read Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6 is what we're going to study today. So that's what Read the Book is going to be. It's already been mentioned, but I just want to uh, remind you that... Along with Bible reading, this month is a chance for us to focus on prayer. 21 days of prayer is probably the most special thing we do together as a church where we come together and we ask God to move in us in the next season of our ministry. We only do this twice a year. uh, I just would highly encourage you to participate in that. And of course, tonight is food trucks and fireworks. I mean, come on. So between read the Bible or read the book, 21 days of prayer and food trucks, we're going to hit pretty much all the major spiritual disciplines uh, in our church in the months of July, so it's, it's going to be awesome. Uh, I did not introduce myself, but my, my name is Brandon, and I'm one of the elders here at the bridge, and I love you guys very much. Even if I do not know you, I want to also welcome the Columbia campus. I love you guys so much. We live in Columbia, but we actually consider, my family and I actually consider ourselves bi-campusers, so we're both places all the time, but I'm excited to bring the word today. Now, As I said, this Friday, this past Friday, we read Deuteronomy 6 together. As God would have it, even though the read the book plan was put together ages ago, Deuteronomy 6 is actually one of the most powerful passages in the Bible for talking about the Bible, which is what we want to do. Lovely how that works out. So what we're going to do today is we're going to try to see and we're going to try to just remember that the Bible is a supernatural book that has supernatural abilities to change our lives. And God's word is actually going to try to convince us today to read it. It wants us to read it. It's going to try to win today. But first, let's talk about coffee, cancer, and Harry Potter. Three things that we probably all had to wrestle with to lead us to make a decision about whether or not we are going to miss out on something. So first, please raise your hand if you drink coffee. Yes. Keep them up. Guys, look around. You without your hands up, look around at all the wise and generally happier people. You can put your hands down. My dad, in contrast, is a 59-year-old man who has never drank coffee. Why? I don't understand. I don't understand. Coffee is a universally treasured beverage. Uh, Coffee has been, in many parts of the world, considered a luxury for 600 years. And my dad has decided to abstain. It's a flavor tragedy. That's what it is. Coffee claims to... uh, Be good for your health, give energy, have overwhelming deliciousness. 
The claims of coffee are backed by science and affirmed by billions of people. There is overwhelming evidence, and yet some of you choose to miss out on something great. Raise your hand, please, if you have read Harry Potter. This, I don't understand. Why has not everyone on earth read Harry Potter? Do you just not want happiness and magic and joy in your life? Look at me. Look at me. You will like it. Harry Potter promises fun. It offers a lifetime of memories and conversations and shared Hufflepuff jokes. It is universally critically critically acclaimed. It has sold 500 million copies. It's the best-selling series in the history of planet Earth. Do you just not want the the magic of Hogwarts in your life? (laughs) Overwhelming evidence that you will like it, but some of you are missing out on something magical. Now, let's take a turn a little closer to where we're going today, and would you raise your hand if you are a cancer survivor? I knew we would have some in every service, quite a few, my goodness. My sister, uh, my little sister's a cancer survivor. When she was 24, she had uh, thyroid cancer, which apparently is the best kind of cancer you can get. Thank God. You know what a doctor told her when he told her she had cancer? He said, we have to try to get this cancer out of you. You're going to go and you're going to do this, 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 and this. Because we have to try to make this cancer go away because if the cancer doesn't get out of your body, it's going to keep killing you. Can you imagine if my little sister had gone home and said, no surgery, no medicine, no diet, I'm just not going to listen. Can you imagine? Years of medical evidence, the testimony of thousands of people tell us that if the cancer stays in the body, it is going to win. To not listen would essentially be to choose to miss out on life itself, right? Here's the point. Coffee, cancer, Harry Potter. As we look at the idea today of reading God's word, somehow God's word offers even more pleasure than coffee. Somehow, God's word promises more power than Potter. God's word has more life salvation and life transformation capabilities than all the doctors on earth combined. And we have overwhelming reason to read it and not just read it, but to center our very lives on it. This book offers a life of joy and ultimately a life forever. But sometimes we don't read it. Are we missing out on the best thing there is? The Bible's going to try to convince us of that this morning through Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'm going to give us three things as we walk through this passage. Three truths that I hope will help us want to pursue the joy that God says we can find in his word. 
three truths to, I'll, in about 28 minutes from now, we'll be done, and I want you to want to read the Bible. It will change your life. Let's see what we can do. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Three truths that will help us want to pursue joy in God's word. The first thing that I want us to see is God's word offers awesomeness. I could have been more scholarly, but it's true. Let's see some of the things that God promises to those of us who follow him in his word, starting in verse 1. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's sons, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you. And you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. And then if you skip down to verse 24, it says this. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God, for our good always, that he may preserve us alive as we are this day. God's word offers awesomeness. Let me convince you. So in Deuteronomy chapter 5, the chapter before this, that's when God gave his people the Ten Commandments. Those are the famous words. But God actually gave his people a lot of words. And what he did when he gave them to them is he said, this is very, very simple. You're going to follow my commands and my statutes and my rules. And as you do, really good things are going to happen to you. That's the promise that he makes. We like to think of it as rules. He's, he's saying awesomeness arrives when you follow the rules. In fact, just look at some of the benefits that he gives in just this one place in his word. At one time, he commanded them to follow it. He says, you already saw this, but he says, your days will be long. He says, it will go well with you. You will multiply greatly. It will be for your good. You will be preserved. God is promising the Israelites here in Deuteronomy 6 what he promises people all over the Bible. Follow me, and you will have my safety and my satisfaction. You get both. You get my good, you get my protection, you get my pleasure. He's saying to anyone who would listen to his word, I have the answers, and it can go well with you. We have the questions, and it does not go well with us often. He has the answers and says it will go well with us. Now, that leads us to this question. Track with me on this. This is very important. Why is it that God can even say to the Israelites and by extension to us that it can be well for us, that it can be for our good? Why is it that he can even offer awesomeness? It's an important question. I could offer you awesomeness and have no ability to back it up whatsoever. The reason is because of the position from which he gives the command. Think about this. God wasn't just the leader of these Israelites in the desert. He was way more than that. Uh, yes, he had made a covenant with them years ago. He had said, I will be your God and you will be my people. But it wasn't that covenant that made it to where he could offer the awesome things. 
It wasn't just that he was their commander. He could make this offer because he was their creator. They weren't just his people by covenant. They were his people by creation. And if you follow that logic through, that means God is a leader unlike any other leader who has ever lived because he doesn't have to hope that his plan leads to great things. He knows it will. I mean, I've got a really good boss. Smart guy, treats me great. He still makes some bad decisions sometimes. Never happens with God because he doesn't, he doesn't just lead his people. He made his people. And he made the planet underneath his people. And he made the plans that complete his people. Which means God never has to guess. God's never guessing. God knows where we fit in this world. God knows how we are fulfilled in this world. And that makes him uniquely capable of making the offer that he makes when he says that his way is designed to go well with us. Now, real quickly, I just want to remind us that a new raise or a new marriage or a new house cat number five is not the awesomeness that God offers because those things aren't awesome. Again, he made the people and he made the plan so he knows that we are not made to be satisfied by cats and cash. If you've ever had much of either one of those, you know it doesn't work. We need his his word, we need his plans because his word offers the way to the true life that only he is capable of giving a forever satisfied life and it is well with my soul kind of life. His word offers awesomeness. Got that? God's word demands preeminence. This sounds like a bad thing, but it's not. Check this out. This is in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today, you shall be or shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your head and they shall be as a frontlet between your eyes and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. It's pretty demanding. He's saying... You need to be saturated with what I say. You need to be surrounded by what I'm commanding you to do. You need to bend your life to my way. Now, for those of us who, and a lot of us in here I know, already know that, God's, uh, that God offers awesomeness. You, you read these verses, we read these verses, and we want this. This is, this is the life that we want. This is the life that feels right. God says, love the Lord your God with everything you have and center everything you have on his word. Teach it diligently to the hearts of the kids that you love. He's the best thing ever. Of course we want to do that. Read the Bible at breakfast. Sing of his truth all day long. Talk about him as you're going to bed at night. If you already know, 
God's awesomeness, then you want it to be preeminent. We're not good at making it so. Surround yourself with it, God says. I've got note cards with verses on it on my desk right now. I don't have tattoos, but my wife has multiple passages inked into her skin. Uh, and a lot of you do too. She used to call them evangetats. I just needed to tell you that. She used to call them evangetats. For real. That's a real thing she did. But if you already know you want God's word and you already know you need it, you'll fill your heart and your head and your home with the words of God. You will bow to it your life. You will sit before the Bible and you, say, and you will say, whatever this book says is what I am. That's for some of us. But what if you're like my dad and you don't drink coffee and you've never read Harry Potter? What about those of you who are currently missing out on God's word? What do we have to say to that? I just want, to re- want you to remember that there's a relationship between point one and point two. Remember that the demand for preeminence is tied to the offer of awesomeness. They go together. God's word demands preeminence and could alone just because he's right. Sure, of course he's right. He, they're his people and his plans and his planet. He's right. But God's God's demands aren't just because he's right. They're because they lead to our delight. That's a poem for you. But it's also one of the most important things you can ever grasp about God's word and God's heart. His demands are toward our delight. His statutes are so that it may be well with us. I'm going to show you a picture of my daughter's. One, because they're cute. But two, because they can help us understand how God's word works. Uh, I have spoken a word to my girls about parking lots. Thou shalt hold my hand in parking lots. Uh, The rule is hold my hand, but of course the reality behind the rule is don't die. You see that? Let's take this one, the, the Chinese one over here with the upside-down glasses. Not only does she have the general lack of awareness of a little kid in a parking lot, she also literally doesn't have ears and wouldn't know which direction a car was coming from, and she's about a foot shorter than she should be. The car's not going to see her. Hold my hand is a rule Because cars kill kids. I don't want that to happen to her. Uh, I also demand that my daughters obey me. I really wish I was better at enforcing that. In theory, I demand it. But it's not just that it would be great to have as a parent. They have to learn to obey. It's a necessary skill for life. If they don't learn to obey, they're going to go to prison someday, and they're too cute for prison. Listen, 
God's word functions the same way. Our heavenly father wants it to be well with us. All these commands are because he knows the plans and he knows the way the world works. Let me give you a couple examples. He commands that we have no other gods before him. He can command that just because he alone is worthy of worship. He can. You are, Lord. But he also knows that he alone can satisfy our hearts. God knows when he said, you shall have no other gods before me, that we weren't made by another God for another God, so no other God can be for us what he can be for us. It can't work that way. It's a command rooted in our benefit. He also says, thou shalt not steal. It's not just because generosity is a part of his character, but because stealing makes life not work right. You guys understand that? So when God says to build our lives and to build our families and to center ourselves on his word, he, he is saying this is the duty that leads to delight. And when you get that, of course he demands preeminence. He's, he deserves it and we need it. I want you to not miss out. So number three. It's the one we'll spend the most time on. God's word deserves obedience. So God's word offers awesomeness, demands preeminence, deserves obedience. Let's read again in verse 20. When your son asks you in the time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Stop there. As as a parent of little children, and as a child of God myself, I love this verse so much because this really sets us up to fall in love with the Bible. This question is going to lead us to answer the question, do we really believe the Bible has the power to change our life? Church family, what would you say? Such an important question. They may come someday. What would you say to your kids when they ask, what is the meaning of this? What is the purpose of these words and these rules? Does this really even matter? Some of your kids may have asked that question. You know what? Your heart may someday ask you that question. We're not beyond that. There are mornings we wake up, I know, and we struggle to remember that Jesus is alive that he has spoken, that he is for our good. What do we say to our kids and our own hearts to answer the question, what is the meaning? Well, I want to give us two different ways to answer this question with the rest of our time. Does this really matter? What is the purpose? And first, let's take a logical and philosophical approach to this. We're going to try something a little different this morning. And we're going to focus on those last four words I just read. God has commanded you. They come and ask, or your heart stirs up and asks, has God really commanded you? Does this really matter? If the answer is yes, God has commanded you, that truth means everything. 
Well, for that to be true, first, God has to exist. And there are a few famous philosophical arguments for God existing. We're going to do this now. Be ready for some big words. You'll feel a little smarter, but this is for your soul. This is for your soul when you wake up in the morning. The cosmological argument for the existence of God class starts with everything that had a beginning had a cause. Everything that had a beginning had a cause. This is essentially self-evident because nothing can't cause something. Nothing can't cause something. So if it had a beginning, then it had a cause. The universe had a beginning. We know the universe had a beginning because if we were to assert that it did not have a beginning, we would basically be saying that the universe goes back infinitely, but it can't because if there were an infinite number of moments before this one, this one would never have gotten here. Today is here. The universe had a beginning. So everything that had a cause, uh, had a beginning, had a cause. The universe had a beginning. Therefore, the universe had a capital C cause. And we know that it's a capital C cause because it has to be God because if it was anything else, it would have to be physical, which in and of itself would then also need a cause. So you always get to back to God. God is real, guys. Tell your kids. Number two, they just get better teleological argument. All designs imply a designer. I drive a Nissan Sentra. I recently was in a fender bender with that Sentra and a piece of it fell off and it took me several minutes just to figure out how to open the hood of my Sentra. And when I peered down inside, I realized I was never going to ascertain the original design for the piece in my hand. But it was very clear to me quickly that somebody had made this car a car on purpose. I went and looked up how many parts are in a Nissan Sentra, and I found a store that offers 13,000 part options for a Nissan Sentra. 13,000 parts fitting together to be a car. We would never look at a car and think, that happened by accident. Somebody made the car on purpose. We know it as soon as we see it. There is a car designer. There is great design in the universe. So there's 13,000 approximately parts in a Nissan Sentra. You fit them together. You have a car. I went and Googled how many atoms are in the universe. You can Google that. The lowest estimate I found is 10 quadrillion vigintillion. That's real. I had no idea. Vigintillion is apparently a one followed by 63 zeros, which is essentially a nonsense number. But the universe doesn't just have a vigintillion atoms. It has at least 10 quadrillion vigintillion atoms all fitting together to make literal worlds, to make sunsets, to make regenerative skin for our evangelists. <laughs> there is stunning design that implies a designer. Therefore, there must be a great designer 
of the universe. One more, the moral argument. This may be my favorite. It goes simply like this. Moral law implies a moral lawgiver. There is an objective moral law. Therefore, there is an objective moral lawgiver. Let me help you understand this. So if we can know the difference between good and evil, if there is, if there is a law that we know says this is moral, this is immoral, then that had to have come from somewhere because it has to be rooted in something. There must be an absolute standard somewhere by which we make moral judgments. And we absolutely know there is an objective moral law. Now, this may be under debate in some areas of the world today, but it falls apart really, really quickly when you push on it. Because we know what is evil. We know it. We don't have to think we know it. It is inside of us. It is a moral law. For example, what if someone came in here today and they got their coffee and then they took all of the lifesaver mints? Are you kidding? Our hearts would immediately cry out for justice. There is maybe an kind of unspoken three-mint maximum going on here. There's some wiggle room. But certainly no one thinks you can come and take all of everyone's mints. Let me be clearer about this. What if it was lives being taken instead of mints? That's essentially all you need to know that there's a God. Because everyone everywhere intuitively knows that it is abhorrent to take the life of another person. If you don't think that, think about yours. If someone wanted to take your life, you can't have it. It's inherently unjust. We know it. And the reason that we can know that it is obviously, objectively, inherently wrong is because there is an objective moral standard, an absolute perfection by which everything else is judged. And that objective moral standard has a name and is the name that is higher than every other name. And at that name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is a moral law giver. So God has commanded us. We have a God. Has he commanded us? I hope you find this interesting because we're going to keep going. Prerequisites for divine revelation, for God speaking to us. Let's prove that can happen. First, you need a being capable of giving revelation. Well, we've already said we have a God and what we know about him by knowing that he is there lets us know everything we need to know that he is capable of giving revelation. Watch. If God is the great designer and he is the capital C cause, then that means he has all the truth that there ever is to have because everything came from him and we know that he has all the power that there ever is to have because everything came through him. That means that he has 
all the truth to reveal and all the power to reveal it. And we know that he is the great moral lawgiver, so we have no reason to believe that he wouldn't want to give it. So what we need then is a people capable of receiving revelation. That means we need rational minds and moral hearts. Do we have those? Class, do we have minds? We know we have minds because if we didn't have minds, we wouldn't be able to deny that we have minds. And as that clicks for you, that lets you know it's a rational mind because you're even able to connect dots about your mind. And we already know that we're moral beings because we know deep in our soul that no one can take all the mints. So we've got... We then have the ability to receive divine revelation if God has the ability to give uh, divine revelation as long as there is a medium through which the revelation can be given. And in fact, there are two. There is a 10 quadrillion, vigintillion Adam universe that declares the glory of God every second of every day. And there is the word of God that tells the beautiful, joyful story of God and his people. So we have logic and nature leading us to believe that God can speak and that we can hear. We have the Bible, which claims to be the way through which he has spoken, and that has been affirmed for millennia by billions of people, and even for most of us in this room, in our own pasts, in our hearts. God has commanded us we should read it. He's commanded us for our own joy that it may be well with our souls. Why are we missing out? And that's just one answer. And it's not even the best answer, although I hope that that's helpful for your soul. There's an even better answer to the question, what is the meaning of the commands of God? And this is in verse 21. This is literally the reason I picked this passage this week, because I got to pick which one we did from the ones we read. This was the verse that led me to pick this text. When your son asks you in the time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? This is the Bible's answer. Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and against all his household before our eyes. What is the meaning? Guys, we're landing it here. Get this for your soul forever. Why should God's word be preeminent? Why does it deserve our obedience? Because it is real? Yes, because it is real. But that's not all. It sets captives free. When your son comes to you in that time and asks, why does all of these words matter? What he really needs to know is that we are no longer slaves. Let me show you what that Israelite father would have said. This is so beautiful. This is his story, and this is your story. You're going to hear it. What does this mean? Why should I go to the book? 
he would have said, son, we were ruined. We were hopeless. This Israelite father would have said, son, we strived and strived to make bricks without straw and it was never enough. And we died every day in the desert. I've been there. And then he would say, but God sent Moses the deliverer, a Hebrew messenger, born in the midst of a suffering people to lead us to the promised land. And if you don't know the story, that dad would have said, and God's hero arrived with mighty signs and miraculous wonders and led us out to freedom. And he would say, son, I will do anything the Lord commands because he saved us and he is good. That is our story too. That's why the Bible's worthy. That's why God's word deserves our obedience because their story is our story and everywhere we look in the Bible, that is the story we find, the story of God rescuing people by his word and by his mighty hand, broken people in bondage to sin like us, desperate people needing to be saved by the word of God, not just from Egypt by Moses, but by our own sin and death by Jesus Christ himself. That's their story, it's our story, and it is the answer to all of our questions. Like, how do we know God really exists? We have reasons. But we have reasons. We have tasted and seen that he is good. I don't need anyone to convince me. I was a slave in Egypt. And I'm free. You're free. We've had our hearts melted by his love. The God who said, let light shine in darkness has shown his light into our hearts. The glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You know how we know that God can speak? Because we heard him say, it is finished over our own sin and death. Do you know how we know he's good? That his word is good? Because on every single page. It points us to Jesus who said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. God's word demands everything. It deserves everything because it offers everything. It's not coffee. Don't miss God's joy for you. And I want to pray for us towards that end. Father, you have given us everything we need. Everything we need for life, for abundant life. Father, for my brothers and sisters who treasure your word, I just say thank you. Even that is an act of grace. We would not have eyes to see your truth if you did not give it. Thank you for loving us all the way to Jesus. Every day, thank you for surrounding us by your truth that leads us to abundant life. I pray that you would protect us from wavering, from not reading your word, or from reading it and not really listening to what you say you want to do in our life. And God, for my brothers and sisters who 
want to read the book, God, would you impress upon, would you explode their hearts with your offer of awesomeness this morning? Just remind them of their experience with you. I remind them of what you have saved them from. Remind them that your heart is absolutely, unmistakably good, and would you draw them to yourself through your word? And lastly, Father, I do pray for people in here who may not have a relationship with you through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, the, the work that gives life and gives it abundantly. God, if there is anyone in here who does not have that, would you move in them right now to draw them to yourself? Help them to see that, they, that it will never be well with them without you. Never. Help them to see that they can have everlasting life and joy in you, and and to surrender the debt. God, now as we worship, we worship the God who is. We worship the God who speaks. We worship the God who rescues and says to us, we are no longer slaves, but we are brothers and sisters and sons and daughters in freedom. In the name of Christ.